Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Kate Scaglione. She is the owner of Life is Fine Art, a fine art boudoir studio located in New Jersey. How are you doing today, Kate? Hi, Brad. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey with us here on the Empowerography podcast. And welcome to the community. It's an honor and a pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's jump right in. So Kate, as I said, you are the owner of a thriving boudoir studio called Life is Fine Art. You've been a photographer for quite a few years now, but before Mm -hmm. this in your past life, shall we say, you worked in corporate America as a director of global advertising for Amex. How long did you work in corporate America for? I was in corporate America for about 12 years. And during that time, I had a pregnancy and went back to work (laughs) right after. And for a brief stint, I worked at a small company right after, but I quickly decided that was not for me. Yeah. And then I formed my own business after that. Okay. Now I'm sure working in the world of advertising and for such a big company as Amex and being the director of advertising, you must've been around a lot of artists, photographers, photo shoots, et cetera. Is this where you were first bitten by the photography bug? I think I think it was in a way. It's kind of what triggered me to take action. I had actually studied photography in school as part of okay. my curriculum. I went to study advertising and part of that, they made us do film photography. So I right. learned everything on film. I was shooting fine art nudes, to be honest. That was okay. a lot of the work that I was doing. It's, it's kind of foreshadowing of what happened in the future working in boudoir. I would say that being on photo shoots all the time for Amex, not, it it wasn't about being around the celebrities and, you know, being around these hotshot photographers, but it was actually about seeing their process that made me so intrigued. I was creatively stimulated by watching them work. Okay. Now, what were some of your responsibilities as the director of global advertising for Amex? Amex is a huge company. Obviously, we had, I think it was in over 70 countries and I mean, it's worldwide. So part of my responsibilities were it's a huge company. So they would have different business units within the company and each business unit had their own thing. There was a travel, there was credit cards, there was all different kinds of business, businesses you don't even imagine American Express is involved in. Okay. And we sort of served as an internal advertising agency in a way where these different business units would come to us and say, okay, here's our business objectives. These are our goals. We need to create an identity or a brand for this product. And we need to somehow have that manifest to consumers so that they would be attracted to it. So a lot of the work was about taking something that was very intangible, like business, their business goals and translating it into something emotional where a person can look at a product and say, 
I have to have that. Right. You know, an example of this would be like the American Express platinum card or a black card. You know, it's it's a very coveted item and, you know, you feel special. So we would create identities for these products from everything from designing the card identity, designing logos. So there's many sort of sub brands within. Right. And actually activating it. So everything from commercials to how the product should look and feel in advertising, in magazines, in radio, in print, and online. So I was responsible for overseeing that part. So taking those business strategies. And when it was time to execute, I was working with all of the creatives to bring that to life. Now, when you started with Amex, did you start out in that position? Like, is that what they brought you on board for? Or did you start out and kind of climb your way up to director of global advertising? The director of global advertising was kind of the holy grail position. Um, When I started uh, with the company, it's a very prestigious company and a lot of their employees are actually recruited from various places, whether it's major consulting firms or Ivy League schools, neither of which I was. Okay. So I had to find a way in and I said, one day I'm going to have that position. That's where I'm going to work. (laughs) But I had to kind of find and navigate and find a road and a path that would lead me there. So I would just, I started in public relations, which really would serve me very well later on running my own business. Yeah, All of these decisions I had no idea were kind of leading up to where I am now, but I started in that position. I took a position after that with a strategic planning group. So I wasn't actually a strategic planner. They were coming from like these big, you know, fancy consulting firms and Ivy League schools and my goal was to be around them to see how they think. And so I took an administrative position recruiting for them, Okay, recruiting at the schools, et cetera, so that I can see what are these guys doing that is so special? That was a very, it was like the think tank of the company. So I wanted to learn how to think like them because I didn't have the um, pedigree of that background that yeah. they all have. And that kind of just gave me a stepping stone to go into other positions, eventually leading to the advertising world. And how long did it take you to get from when you started to that position, that coveted position that you wanted? I would say eight years. So it felt like 25. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, you know, especially if you're a working mother, but yeah. I think for a lot of people, the corporate world can age you. It's kind of like dog years. Yes. So, you know, oh, how yeah. it was like seven years for one year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I started when I was 21. I was like fresh out of school and I was so eager and so ambitious. And I probably finished up by the time I was like 35, if I'm doing math right. So it was a while. <laughs> yeah. But you, you attain that goal that you set for yourself. So that's, I, that's key. Yeah. I set the goal that by the time I turned 30, I wanted to be in this position. I wanted to be making this much money. And I had all these ideas for myself. And you kind of learn how how quickly those could get derailed. (laughs) (laughs) Life happens, right? Life gets in the way and prevents things or helps things along the way. Exactly. What would you say is one of the most valuable lessons then you learned working in the corporate world and how... Has that helped you both personally and professionally now in your business? Mm, I think that I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of people, many different countries, many different cultures, many different personalities. I really learned to be adaptable. So I think that there was an element of me being 
my authentic self or trying to maintain my authentic self, but also being a chameleon so that I could work well with other people um, that are different than me. So for example, if I'm working in another country, Italy would be a great example there. Their business culture was very, very different from ours. So before going over and doing work with our Italian colleagues, I would have to really adapt and say, okay, don't do this, but you must do this. And, you know, and I think that that quality really shaped me in running my own business now, because now I can be around all kinds of people and I can adapt myself in a way that helps make them feel very comfortable, especially in a role as vulnerable as they are being a boudoir client, you know? For sure. And, and I never imagined, you know, taking that corporate skill and applying it to my own business. But that I have to say would be the strongest. Okay. When you decided to leave the corporate world behind, did you know then that you wanted to start your own photography business when you left corporate? Like, was that in the back of your mind when you were starting to think about leaving that world behind? I think it was always like a pipe dream. Like, wow, if I could do anything and money was not an issue, yeah, I would be a photographer running. And I, I, I did have those ideas, but I think that I early on when I was younger, I had structured for myself so much that this is how things have to be. And this is where you should be at this point in your life. And this is how much money you should be making. I had all these ideals set. And maybe it's part of like being an ambitious person or yeah. something, but I had all those ideals set up. So being a photographer didn't necessarily seem to fit in those boxes anywhere. Right. You know, and it seemed like a pipe dream. It didn't seem like something I would be able to make money or make a living or or sustain myself. And it was not the easiest transition, but I was quickly proven wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get a lot of external noise and, and, and feedback and whatnot in a negative manner about leaving that that great paying and and secure benefits and all that stuff behind with the corporate world to jump into entrepreneurship? Did you have to deal with a lot of that? I would say definitely. I came from a background, I would say blue collar. My dad was NYPD detective. Yeah. My mom was always part-time work, but in very structured office environment. And their belief was, you know, you went to college, you worked so hard, there's a ladder, you just keep climbing the ladder, security is everything. Security is the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, to them, they thought I was crazy, I think. (laughs) I think that they felt I think they felt I had some type of creative talent. But I do think, especially my mom, she always kind of had this belief that I was Whatever I decided I was going to do, I was going to make happen. Right. And, you know, both of my parents, I think, you know, I, I come from a, a divorced family, so it's, it's a little different. But yeah. I think that they always had this belief in me that if I decided I was going to do something, I would make it happen. But they were really scared. They're like, why would she quit this job? She worked so hard for everything. All of that schooling, all of that college, you know, it seems it's- crazy to an outsider. But when you're experiencing it on the inside, you're like, wow, that would be something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, you're throwing away your life. How yes. you can't make money as an artist? Are you crazy? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people around me, my siblings included, they had never seen a demonstration of somebody actually succeeding doing that. Right. No one in my family has branched off on their own. And the ones that have, they're like, oh my God, he's crazy. You know, yeah. he's a rebel, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
it just was a completely different concept to everybody around me. My friends thought I was crazy. My friends looked up to me because they're like, wow, she has this amazing job. She's yeah. traveling the world. She's making so much money at our age. Like, who has that? Yeah. But it was tearing away at me in a way, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't living the authentic life that I saw for myself. Yeah. I, I, I realized that. Corporate life can suck and it does. It sucks the soul right out of you. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think I could have survived in it if I was mature enough. I mean, I was very young mm-hmm. in a position of like that. Yeah. And I sometimes I joke, I'm like, who would trust me at 30 to, <laughs> to do that job and manage that kind of money, but budgets and stuff. But, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a confidence thing and you just have to kind of take a leap sometimes. For sure. What inspired you to leave the corporate world behind then and venture out on your own? Was it, what was the tipping point or light bulb moment for you if you had one of those? I mean, I really did love my job. I loved mm. so many aspects of it. And I worked with so many great and smart people. And I w- it was like going to work every day and learning. But sometimes I think you can enter a toxic situation. So if you have a toxic boss or you have a, a toxic team or there's a toxic dynamic, it kind of changes the way you look at these things. Like, I'm like, maybe my job isn't that. Maybe yeah. maybe it looks great from the outside. And I kept going with it. I kept really struggling under enormous amounts of stress. I started to see my health decline a bit. I'm like 30 years old and I felt like I had been through an entire career already, you know? Yeah. And really it was when I had a baby and I was commuting back and forth to New York City. So I would take a ferry to mm-hmm. New York City every day while pregnant. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes the C-section was not a good move. No, with, I uh, wouldn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so much work. And then I was breastfeeding and I was, you know, I'd be in the office and I'd go down to a room and I'm pumping milk. And yeah. it, it felt like insanity. I'd be rushing home to get the baby from daycare. I'd be putting the baby to bed as quickly as I could at night so I could finish the work for the day. And I think that that level of dream and that pace, that high octane pace, it hits you at some point. And I just said to myself, what am I doing? You know, I'm putting a baby that I've wanted (laughs) to sleep and not spending the the appropriate amount of time with her just so I can get work done and survive. It made no sense. And all of a sudden things started to not make sense. You know, I would never say that I left a high octane job simply because I had a baby, because I kind of feel like I would make any job high octane right. sometimes. But I needed to feel a sense of empowerment to myself mm-hmm. while living that pace. And yeah. I had none of that. I had none of that. Well, you could only keep up that pace for so long. I mean, that's crazy what you were doing. Yeah, but I didn't look at it like it was crazy. I looked at at it like that's what's expected to be done and I can't cut it. So to some degree, I felt like a failure. Like, Mm. you know, there's other people that do this and I'm not one of them, you know? So it it did make me feel a little bit less than, but you come to your senses. Once you have a little time to step away, when I left and I was home with the baby and I had time to sort out my plans and my dreams and all of that, everything starts to make sense, but you can't find that sensibility when you're in the throes of it and you're in this madness, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's only when you take a step back and look at it from the outside in. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Did you have any educational training? I mean, you, you took 
photography in school, but outside of that, as part of your advertising course that you took, but outside of that, did you have any other training to become a photographer? While I was home on maternity leave, this is the high octane me, (laughs) which is, (laughs) it's very weird because I'm honestly the most calm person. I do yoga. I like things quiet, Yeah. but my orientation to work is to just jump at it, you know, just be in it buried. I definitely learned the fundamentals of the camera and studied on film in school. When I was on photo shoots with photographers, I would see how they would approach the work. I would see how they were concepting things. Yeah. I would see how they would be doing the storytelling of what we needed to communicate. And that definitely helped me. I would say from an artistic standpoint, in terms of the fundamentals of photography, you know, I had learned on film. Once a digital camera came to me, it was foreign. I'm like, this makes no sense. I learned this on film. Wait, this makes zero sense to me. So I actually had to relearn photography digitally. So I took, while I was home with the baby and on maternity leave, I actually took a master's degree program. I'm like, I can get a master's in photography online. Right. And I started it and I got through two courses and I'm like, whoa, I can completely learn this. There is a world of information out there and I don't need to earn a degree to do this. I don't need a master's degree. So after I realized that I was on this quest to learn as much as I could, I've attended all kinds of industry workshops and I never want to stop learning. So I love, you know, I went to WPPI, I would go to the PPA imaging conferences, I would go to all of them. And then I, I just absorb things online in my spare time. I would try to watch the YouTube videos and just pick things up. I would say that pace of learning has definitely slowed down for me as my studio got busier and busier, but the learning was something I had to really pursue and do independently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you started out as a professional photographer, what was the subject matter you were shooting? And what did you start out shooting as you began your career as a professional photographer? I used to kind of shoot for fun. So I would be doing a ton of work you know, just like photographing my own children and photographing family members. What started to happen is, and especially as social media became more prevalent, people would be sharing the work. And then all of a sudden it was like, everyone's like, I want this, you know? And so a lot of families were asking me to photograph their kids and I really enjoyed it to a degree, but I wanted to do something more conceptual. I guess I didn't have those proper words at that point in time. I didn't know what it was I wanted to be photographing. But what happens is as more families were sharing the work, I had it business owners start reaching out to me like, hey, I own a bakery. Can you shoot our cakes in the same style that you shoot these infants? Or I was doing a lot of newborn photography because, mm-hmm. you know, I had a newborn at home. And, <laughs> and then I had a book author that that hired me and she's like, I want you to sh- shoot the cover of my book. And she said, can you do something that's very sensual and et cetera. And she had two women, I guess it was an erotic novel and she had two women on the cover and I was photographing them. And I'm like, you know what? I really enjoy this. Yeah, Like working with the women, seeing how they were so different and yet you can adapt to work with each of them. And it was way more artistic in my mind. And then seeing how fulfilled they felt after the shoot, just as models, that kind of got me hooked on being a boudoir photographer. Okay. Do you remember what your very first paying gig was as a photographer? And if so, what was it? Hmm. It would probably be newborns, newborns. Uh, new, newborn babies. But I would say like the first substantial gig that I got was working for a couture cake maker. Okay. So she was a cake designer and unbelievable. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about being a photographer? What lights you up the most about it? Hmm. It changes for me. It used to be editing. So I used to be, I could sit at the computer for hours editing. And I'm not talking about just like retouching and adjusting. I would do compositing work or I would put together pieces from some photos and with other photos and create almost paintings out of the work. I used to sit there and do that. I think as I lost the precious resource of time, (laughs) as my kids were growing, I have three kids now. Yeah. That became less and less. I didn't have time to do that. And I didn't have the bandwidth in my head to think through and concept. And I I sort of would lose the creative juice to put those things together. So that was it. It was editing. Now, I would say it's something way more cathartic. And I think it's working with clients, you know, helping women see themselves differently or helping them see themselves for the first time in a way that their loved ones see them. You know, and yeah. that's not even really about the photography. Maybe it's more, I don't know, psychology. I don't yeah. really know. But just connecting with people at that level, that's really special. And I think it's something that's very unique to what we do in boudoir photography. What inspires you to create the art? Like, where do you pull your inspiration from when you're, when you're shooting? tend not to follow other photographers because mm-hmm. I never want my work to feel similar. <laughs> I want it yeah. to feel completely unique. I never want to feel like I'm copying ideas or concepts. And sometimes you don't even try, but you see something that really jazzes you and it sticks in a part of your brain. And you'll say, oh, I have this great idea, except it's not yours. <laughs> <laughs> I never, ever want that to happen. And I also think that, it, that you know, you, you want to prevent yourself from trying to feel this sense of creative competition in your head, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're someone like me who like tends to be perfectionist about things. I'm like, well, look at what they're doing versus me. I would look outside of photography. So I look at a lot of paintings. I have okay. huge appreciation for painters. I love when I watch a movie, I'm barely paying attention to the story because I'm so immersed in cinematography of it. Mm. Those things really inspire me. And I try to be like, wow, how can I bring that aspect to my work? I also love like literature, like beautiful novels. And if I hear, if I read a story, I like to translate that into something visual. Okay. What would you say is one of the most inspirational parts of your business or your career now as a boudoir photographer? Hmm. I think it's the variety is very inspiring. When a person walks through the door, every woman is so, so different. And, you know, back to my days of advertising, it's like trying to get a read on what it is they're looking for and then translating that into something that's unique and emotionally resonant. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how do I bring this woman to life? It's not just like I'm turning on my camera, just shooting beautiful pictures because I know how to, Yeah, but it's more like, what is this woman all about? And how do I make this hers? This every shoot has to be different. And that's really inspiring to me when I go to work every day that, you know, I try not to have any shoot be exactly the same. I try not to flow through poses just because I know them more. This woman's body is different than another woman's body. So like, why not pose her in a way that's going to flatter her and make her feel like herself and make her feel great. Right. Would you say that you're more of a technical shooter or more of feel or, or oh, gosh, <laughs> 
I am definitely not a technical shooter. Okay. I mean, even having learned on film and, yeah, you know, that's why I asked because <laughs> of the film aspect of it and your film background. Not at all. Um, I am a complete minimalist, so I will run my cameras into the ground. I do. I'm not an, <laughs> equip, I'm not an equipment junkie. I'm not a lighting junkie. I prefer to work with the sun as my best softbox. Okay. Because I think that to me, I feel like like working with natural light actually shows people exactly as they are, but in mm-hmm. their most beautiful way, you know? Yeah. And you, I've seen photos of your studio and you have incredible natural light coming <laughs> through those big, beautiful windows. So do you use strobes as well though, or do you only use natural light? I'm trained to use strobes. I don't use them. My personal belief or my philosophy is that natural light is the most flattering to women in boudoir. And I think that there's like just this beautiful ethereal quality to natural light that Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's what we live with every day. Yeah. You know, like, and, and I, I feel like there's sort of a natural aspect to it that just is so beautiful, not just aesthetically, but like conceptually almost. Yeah. And, you know, this is not my first studio. This is my second. And my huge criteria for it was I must have incredible natural light. So I went seeking out, you know, I waited a very long time for that studio because I'm like, the natural light is the most important thing to me, not just from the technical aspect, but also the, the vibe and the feel that people get when they enter it, it feels like a healing space. Yeah. So you said you were waiting, you had to wait quite a bit of time for this studio to come up for you. So in the meantime, then, since you are a natural light photographer, what did you Mm -hmm. do in the meantime, then, since you didn't have the incredible space you now have? I would work with an Airbnb owner and she was an artist herself. In my mind, having a client come to a hotel room felt very unsafe. Yeah. And many people do it and they do it great for me personally. It felt awkward that I was asking them to meet me there. Okay. And I wanted to make sure whatever space I created felt like home to them and felt like a, like a safe space for their vulnerability just to, you know, kind of shed itself. Yeah. I searched out Airbnbs and not every Airbnb would want you photographing in their space, but I happened to stumble upon an old home in a very, very hip little town in New Jersey called Asbury Park. It's where Bruce Springsteen came from and got his roots. (laughs) But she had this beautiful Victorian old home and she was an artist herself and she just had such a beautiful way about her, but her space looked like an artist's space. So she let me use the attic and I would just rent it from her by the day. We had a very flexible agreement. Yeah. And she loved that I was in her home creating art because that's what she was all about. So finding that compatibility was was very key for like two years while my space was being built. Okay. Now, when you aren't actually shooting paid photography work, what do you do to keep your mind in that creative space, personal projects? What type of things do you like to shoot? Or do you like to shoot personal at all when you're not shooting paid work? I used to love shooting personal work and I would do a lot of conceptual art and digital paintings. I think that, you know, having a thriving studio is amazing, but it's also to the detriment of your creativity (laughs) of your personal projects, because when I have free time, it's devoted to my children and my family and, you know, managing three kids who are growing and they're entering their teen years is very, very busy. And while that does feed my soul, I had to find other ways to feed my soul because I just couldn't keep up 
with those projects mm-hmm. and definitely not without any discipline over myself. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career as a photographer? I think that the, the advice I see out there changes. So I feel that there's a culture right now that's very much about making money. And I think that's great because as artists, we should be making money. Right. But I do feel that photography in general is losing some of its artistic value. Mm-hmm. And I think when digital cameras became so prevalent and the better they get and the iPhones and the social media, now it, it does feel at times like everyone is a photographer. And what I would say is if you want to really stand out or have that quality of your work that people say, I don't know what it is, but it's special or it's different and unique is to actually learn the art of it is to learn about composition and conceptualizing and all of the artistic elements that go into it as well as the technical side of your camera. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people start out and they pick up a camera and they just want to shoot, shoot, shoot. Cause they, you know, they may have ideas in their head, but they don't necessarily learn what goes into it from right. either the technical side or the artistic side. So I would say if you want to be special, really learn about photography, not just learning about the camera, but learn about photography and learn about the, the art of photography. Yeah. Do you feel that being a boudoir photographer has helped shape the woman you've become today? I do, definitely. Because I feel like I kind of grow with the women that I work with. You know, I I don't just have them come into the studio and I just start shooting and send them home. I don't have a very turnstile approach to the business. I only take one client a day. Okay. And that's so that I can feel a connection with them and talk to them and learn about their story and like understand them. And I think in hearing what other women do or inspiring things they're doing or even their struggles, I grow a little bit. I can't tell you how much I've learned just by meeting all of these incredible women that I work with. And I've learned to, I think, nurture my own sense of self and my own sense of empowerment as well, because I'm trying to build up these other people. I feel I'd be a hypocrite if I wasn't doing that for myself. Right. So, you know, in a way, everyone that steps through the door is a little bit of a role model for me. You know, some clients will say, oh, you're such a role model for empowerment and things like that. But that doesn't just come organically. I wasn't born that way. I had to really build that. And I think a lot of the women I work with helped me do that. Amazing. Now, I know you have three kids. How (laughs) do you empower your children? And how do you empower your son versus your daughter's? Oh, that's such a great question. I was always kind of a rebel child. I grew up in a very Irish Catholic home. Mm-hmm. And if you understand a stereotypical Irish Catholic <laughs> home, it's very strict. Sex is not discussed. In fact, it's it's almost a sin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like so I felt in many ways that my upbringing kind of inhibited me a bit okay. and I don't want my daughters to ever feel inhibited, whether it's about their femininity or their power or their sexuality or any of that, because right. it took me so long to undo the shackles that, yeah. <laughs> that kind of upbringing yeah. did. Yeah. I don't want them to have shackles, just get it starting out right out of the gate. I want them to live like these free independent lives to be authentic to themselves. And it took me decades to undo that. So yeah. 
I try to help them see like, there's nothing wrong with your body. There's nothing wrong with your nudity. Like, you know, yeah. they can tend to be, I want them to be modest. I don't want them, you know, being all over the internet. Of and, course. Like, unsafe. Yeah. But I want them to understand that bodies are natural, that sex is natural, that they are free to be who they want to be. And also that, you know, the woman who holds her femininity is the one who defines it, not everyone else. So my two daughters could not be more different. And that's okay. I don't try to put them into a mold or a box like that's your version of beautiful. And that's your version of beautiful. Right. And my boy, you know, he was just born kind of an old soul, but (laughs) And I, I, I'm so blessed by him because I don't, I would hate to have a, a you know, sort of a toxic male or an alpha male yeah. <laughs> mentality, you know, in a boy. And so I try to nurture his sensitivities, very sensitive. I try to nurture that and try to teach him like not to fall out of the box. I should say, I try to teach him to not feel that he has to hide that part of himself yeah. to be a man. And in fact, that's an asset to him as a man. And it makes him rare and unique as a man. For sure. Um, I say all the time, like, God, he's going to make somebody a great husband one day, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And I try to teach him, you know, he was very young. He was about seven or eight years old. And he said, mom, how come all the ladies that you work with are being photographed in their underwear? (laughs) And I I said, because that's how they feel most beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, okay. And he moves on. <laughs> and it made, it. Me, it made me so happy that that was his reaction because yeah. it was a teachable moment that mommy isn't shooting women in their underwear, just trying to be sexy or yeah. thirst traps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's that I'm helping women see themselves as beautiful and maybe in a less than clothed state, you know, right. or a vulnerable state. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, with boys growing up, I mean, when when I was growing up as a boy, it was frowned upon for boys to have emotions and you're not supposed to cry and you're supposed to be a man. And so that kind of thing, you teaching that to your son now that it's okay to have emotions and that you should have emotions. I think that's amazing. We need to teach our kids all of that, boys and girls, both. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, what favor would I be doing to him? Yeah. To the relationship, his future relationships, if I don't let him have that. Absolutely. So keeping with this theme, what kind of environment do you create in your home then in order to promote body positivity and confidence among your kids? Hmm. Well, in the home specifically, we don't keep a scale in the house. Okay. So I don't believe that we should obsess over body weight or body standards or things like that. I, I only recently purchased a full length mirror. Wow. Yeah, I know. It seems crazy to most people, but I kind of would always look at myself from the neck up and be like, how do I look makeup good? You know, yeah. I don't want the girls obsessing over their bodies the way that I did when I was young. And you know, the mirror can lie too. Sure, absolutely. (laughs) So I I do have a full-length mirror in the house now in my bedroom, but the girls don't have it in their rooms. Right. If they want to see themselves, they can go in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that helps to a degree with them not feeling like all of their worth and their beauty comes from their body. Uh, And that's a big thing. I would also say giving the children some independence with their aesthetic I say like my mom was so strict about makeup and not wearing and I you know it's not really the home but 
I let the girls wear makeup if that's how they feel pretty, or I give them some freedom with their clothing choices. If that's what makes them feel beautiful, you know, I don't really try to influence my aesthetic on them. Yeah. Okay. Now, being a boudoir photographer, you are obviously a huge advocate of self-love and body positivity and women's empowerment. Can you speak a bit about what those things mean to you on a personal level? Hmm. Well, I think <laughs> I think that empowerment takes many forms for different people. I think self-love has become a movement and a catchphrase. And to a degree, it becomes almost played out like, oh, not another self-love video on Instagram, you know. But I think people need to see self-love a little differently, that it's not about, oh, I'm overweight and I still love myself, which I am right now. And that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But more about what are my qualities that make me unique and how is that powerful for me? You know, I, I would say, you know, if I had to, to say like one quality I know about myself is like, there's this phrase, like be somebody who makes everyone feel like a somebody, yeah, something to that degree. And I, I know that that's something that I'm so good at and I can do it authentically, yeah. you know, and I, clients will say to me, you say that to everyone, you know, <laughs> like I'm flattering them. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. I said, I wouldn't say anything if I didn't think it, that's I right. just, that's yours, you know, and yeah. that I get a lot of, I feel like I derive a lot of power from that mm-hmm. in that I can shape others views of themselves and that's empowering. Yeah. Self-love it, it's become overused, but I think that we have to define it on a very individual level and self-care is another one that's so overused. Yeah. Self-care is not the, the bubble bath and the candles and, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe reading a good book. Self-care is sometimes, you know, early in my career stopping and saying, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm not healthy. I'm stressed out. I'm not happy. And even for me, you know, I I worked a little too hard this summer and I stepped back and I said, you know what, I'm going to take two weeks off and I'm not going to do things because I need to. Yeah. And realizing the signs, realizing what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's stepping back to say, that is loving myself. Yeah. You know, and I don't think most people think about love in that way. And, no, and you're so, right. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Kate. I also think that there's a, a lot of self-love and forgiveness. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes and failures, especially mm-hmm. in business. And some of them are hard to get over. And, you know, you carry wounds around. Some, some of them can be downright traumatic for some people. But I think having the ability to forgive yourself is a huge part of self-love and self-care. I love that. I love it. So speaking of empowerment, how do you define the word empowerment? What does that mean for you? I know you talk about self-love and self-care, but what does empowerment mean to you? For me personally, it's peace. So that is my most precious asset. Anything that disrupts my peace needs to go. So whether it's clutter in the home, which I have a ton of, so that, yes, it it needs to go. (laughs) But that extends to people. Mm -hmm. It extends to superfluous noise, whether that's actual noise and noise around me, or if it's chatter. My piece, I I won't take every client. If I feel like a client might be a person who would disrupt my piece, I don't need the client. I don't need the money. Peace would outweigh money any day. And it took me a really long time to learn that. And that's my empowerment. Excellent. I love that. To date, Kate, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's 
overcoming failure, to be honest. I failed. My first studio, without going into all the sort of details, you know, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And despite all of my efforts and, you know, even if it's financially profitable, doesn't mean it's successful. And that, you know, that's, not, that's sort of cryptic, but it was a failure on my part. And right. being able to overcome a failure and having the guts to say, okay, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to, I can do this. I'm going to bounce back from it. You know, it wasn't easy, but I found my way there and yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't curl up in a ball and say, I quit. And to me, that's my biggest win over anything. And, you know, you don't normally think of failure as something to be proud of. <laughs> right. But in, in my case, I really, really overcame a lot to, to get to where I am. Well, I, I think, I mean, failure is how we learn. That's, that's part of life. It's going to happen no matter what you do. What makes it different for each individual is whether you, what you said, whether you decide, if you just, you decided to pick yourself up and go at it again and give it another try and not give up. That's the key is not giving up and picking right. yourself up. No matter how many times you fall, you fall eight times, you get up nine. That's it. <laughs> right. And I, I, You're so right. You're so right. And I, I think that the hardest failures are the ones that you learn things about yourself that you might not necessarily want to see. Oh, so for, for sure. Ex- you know, the, those are the hardest failures. It's worse than losing money. Or yeah. if you have something that makes you lose your dignity or your reputation or makes you say, oh my God, I really do let people walk all over me. Yeah, Those are the hardest failures to come over, to overcome because they're very, very deep rooted. And they're not about the immediate situation. They're, they're usually like rooted somewhere deep yeah. in childhood, yeah. you know, but it brings out old wounds in yourself, you know? For sure. Well, looking you, people People are scared to go deep inside and look inside because they're scared of what they'll see. Right. They don't want to put in the self-work and, and do that. So giving up is easy. Right. And sometimes when you fail in front of everyone, yeah, you know, it looks a certain way to them that might not be the reality. For and sure. so that's hard to get through too. Like, oh, everybody thinks this and everybody thinks that. But when you learn to let go, and I think that help, it happens to most women around 40, <laughs> you're like, I don't care. I really don't care what you think. Yeah. You know, it's glorious when you are able to do that. It's it. it that's empowerment. When you can yeah. say, I really don't care what you think about this. Yeah. That, that's the ultimate. <laughs> I love it. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I would say adaptability. So I have an understanding that things change and I can change with them. Yeah. I have a pretty open mind. So I can be convinced of things if you give me enough facts and logic, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. even tap into emotion. But having that adaptability has just helped me grow and change and flex the business in ways to be successful. It's helped me get through the pandemic when, yeah. you know, I live in a, or I'm sorry, my studio is in a town that has very high real estate. So most people, gasp when they hear what my monthly rent is for my studio. And I said, Oh God, there's a pandemic. We have a shutdown for five months. What am I going to do? I'm going to be out, you know, high five figures, you know? (laughs) And it's just having, instead of curling up in a ball and just saying, you know, I didn't get funding from the government. And I said, I got to step into action here and adapt. So what Mm -hmm. am I going to do? I had to throw out some of my principles yeah. of how business works and say, this is what I'm going to do to stay survive. And, yeah. and to be honest, pandemic coming right out of quarantine or shutdown, 
when we mm. opened again, I've had my most successful year ever. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But it's that adaptability. You know? Yeah. So speaking of success, how do you define success? What does that word mean to you? I think success for me is, is what I'm doing, bringing me the most peace of mind. And it can be as easy as just like the happiness of enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. Or it can be being not, not having the presence of worrying about money or things like that looming over me is peace mm. of mind. So again, like, you know, I don't need to take every client and it's not yeah. a financial decision. It's a peace of mind decision, you know? I love it. Kate, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Mm. Okay. I think that learning to be very in touch with myself didn't happen until I was a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And so learning that I define who I am and not other people defining who I am or what I should be doing, that came to me somewhere around 35, maybe 40. It okay. takes a long time to learn that for some of us, you know, yeah. and I hope my daughters learn it by the time they're like 15, you know, but <laughs> yeah. that was not the case for me. And having this relationship with myself where I can say, this is what I'm going to do. I can totally do this. I'm going to be successful at whatever I decide to do. That was not always me. I always kind of, I don't know, I doubted myself or I would get mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, you know, yeah. especially in my 20s. I felt that a lot. Like, I don't belong here. But yeah. now I'm like, I belong wherever I am, you know, mm -hmm. I belong wherever I am. And that's like something you like, <laughs> it took me a long time to figure out. Well, you figured it out and you've arrived. So there you go. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? I feel inspired when I think that I am contributing to the world in some way. So if I feel that I have made someone's view of themselves better, or maybe I can help somebody that is struggling and hasn't maybe been feeling great about themselves, I would say it's probably that the mm -hmm. most when I, when I feel like I have some kind of contribution to someone's life. And, you know, as great as I was headed in my corporate career, I would ask myself, like, who am I serving? Like, yeah. does, does anyone actually benefit from what I'm doing? Like, will anybody remember any of this? No. Yeah. You know, and I, I definitely would not diss on that corporate life because it has to, it, we need, we need that, you yes, know, we need, sure. the economy needs it. Yeah. But, I personally didn't get fulfillment out of not seeing the impacts of my work, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I mean, yeah, the world needs ditch diggers and, and all the rest of it. Entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as long finding, finding your passion and your love and your mission in life, that's, that's such a hard thing to do. And so many people never do find it in life and they go through life working those corporate jobs. But again, all of that is needed. We need all of these people, all different types. So, Right. And I think it's just having the awareness of who you are. You yeah. know, I didn't know. I thought I was corporate Kate, you yeah. know, I yeah. thought that's who I was supposed to be. And I thought I was supposed to be up on this, you know, trophy stand, like, you know, and they have the Olympics and you're on the stand. <laughs> the podium. Yeah. <laughs> podium. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, I, I'm supposed to be on a podium. 
Yeah. And when you realize you're not number one on a podium, you're like, oh no, I'm a failure. <laughs> you know, a bronze medal is pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. What's your personal motto? I think it is take the high road. And it's something that my grandmother always taught mm-hmm. us. So take the high road, whether that is if you're having a conflict with someone or take the high road with yourself. Don't yeah. stoop to a certain level. If someone asks you to do something, go above and beyond. Yeah. You know, that that high road is where all the good stuff happens and that's the high vibe. And if you're below that, you know, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, I didn't fully understand the phrase when I was young, but take the high road. If I just, it's just a few words, but when I apply it to every situation, it's always true. It's mm-hmm. always going to make you successful. You know, I don't, I, I definitely have my moments where I don't feel on the high road. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a few this week, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you have to get yourself back there and stay yeah. there. Very wise woman, your grandmother. <laughs> okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section. So the next grouping of questions is just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay? okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Adaptable. What would your friends, parents, siblings, closest friends list as a couple of your best characteristics, would you say? Funny, <laughs> <laughs> calm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm often told I have a calming presence okay. um, and composed. All right. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Love. Do I need to explain it? <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? That's the hardest one. <laughs> <laughs> I think unconditional love. Okay. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Tolerance. If you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would it be? Ah, Tribe Called Quest. That's a 90s rap. Yeah. <laughs> scenario. What's the scenario? <laughs> love it. <laughs> if you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Grace and Fire. Beautiful. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a lot of pressure. <laughs> what would you say are the top three skills, Kate, needed to be a successful entrepreneur? I've said this word to nauseam already, but adaptability, mm-hmm. adaptability slash flexibility, yeah, persistence, mm-hmm. resilience. I, I kind of would make that a persistence slash resilience, yeah, um, and just awareness, like okay. having self awareness yeah. that maybe you're not the best at something, maybe you are really good at something, and then apply it. You know, yeah. What would you say is the most entrepreneurial thing about you? My sense of freedom. I joke to people that I'm free bird (laughs) all the time. And I I don't like routines and I don't like overly structured things. I don't like things to be overly organized. I feel very constricted when I am committed to too many things. So having flexibility and yet still being disciplined enough to get things done is entrepreneurial okay. because that and it would never fly in a corporate environment. No, definitely not. <laughs> Very structured environment that is. You don't stray from <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Kate, what's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Hmm. You know, 
it doesn't really apply to work at all. But when my son was born, he mm-hmm. was born with a lot of unexpected health issues. And okay. the first few years of his life, it was a lot of time in and out of the hospital. And, you know, we had to kind of modify his lifestyle just so that he could stay healthy. And I think watching a baby or a toddler just bounce back and be so resilient and adaptable and just like positive, you know, my son has had a lot of anaphylactic episodes where, you know, a team of doctors would like be, you know, they'd be near bringing him back almost. And he just comes out of it. And he's like, hi, mom. Thank you. I love you. (laughs) And, And I'm sitting there staring like what just happened? Yeah. And, but seeing how pure and how, just resilient and adaptable kids can be teach, mm-hmm. you know, teach They always say like watching children and watching old people, you just get such wisdom, you yeah. know, and he has taught me so much wisdom about being resilient and better and just adaptable. And anytime I lose my path, I look at this kid, he's only 12 years old right now, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's taught me a lot about that. That's beautiful. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, Kate, where would you put it? And what would it say? I think I would put it as soon as you come off the plane in the Caribbean mm-hmm. and just say chill. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Coming out of your come out of the environment that you're in, take a moment to chill so you can reassess yeah. what needs to be done or what's good for you. Awesome. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I love these reactions. <laughs> it's so much pressure. I try to think off the cuff, but every once in a while, you're stumping me. I love it. Let's see. I guess you would ask me about hobbies, maybe. Okay. And what hobbies do you have? And what are the benefits of those hobbies to your life? Okay. There you go. Answer your question. I have no, I have no idea. I'm staring at a pair of like red bottom heels in my closet and I'm like, Ooh, that's a passion. And I was like, <laughs> you could ask me about those. Like it's, it's become a hobby almost these shoes, but shoe collecting. <laughs> there you go. Oh, and what does that bring to your life? <laughs> it brings absolutely nothing. It's so shallow, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, and I, this is advice I would give to women too. Mm-hmm. We don't get many trophies as adults, you know, as right. kids, we're playing on sports teams and this and that. I'm not a real showy person. I don't need to show off things, but if there's things that I covet or I want just to feel great, use your successes and have little trophies to say, I earned that. That's my trophy. And it could be something simple. Like for me, I mean, I don't really spend a lot on a lot of things. I'm not like that, but I have always loved shoes. It's a weird addiction. And I buy myself a great pair of shoes that I probably normally wouldn't spend that kind of money on something else as a trophy. Okay. Celebrate the small wins. Celebrate your successes. Absolutely. You need to. You said that much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. We, I think we so often get caught up in our lives and forget to slow down and celebrate and look back on and appreciate and enjoy our successes as we go through life because we just get so busy and so caught up. We forget about it. Yes. I think we need and- to take the time to slow down and do that. Completely. And I really do need vacations and little breaks just to reset myself. But in taking those little trophy moments, you know, and saying, I'm going to buy myself something pretty, or I'm going to buy myself something that I've wanted. Yeah. You know, it took me a long time to get to that point too. I used to be very frugal and I'd Mm -hmm. hold all my money back and save, 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 because that's how I was raised. Right. 
But I find that the more I invest in things and invest in myself, and the more I put out there into the universe, these sort of success vibes. And I, wow, I just spent that much on a pair of shoes. That was really dumb. It's not dumb because I am high vibing. And I always find that that's when I'm making the most money is when I'm doing those things. So in a way it's, it's either causing (laughs) success or symbolic of success. So it's more than a pair of shoes to me. Yeah. You know, you earn that shit. So celebrate (laughs) 100%. Kate, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Just to be who you are. I never really tried to be somebody else, but I just thought that I wasn't enough, you know? And so maybe it's you are enough. Exactly as you are is exactly who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be. Love it. Lastly, Kate, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What wisdom would you impart onto the world that you've learned in your life? Say, woman, you can do this. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, whatever you decide you're going to do, you will be great at it. But you just have to be really firm in your decision to do that. And in order to be firm in a decision, you have to know yourself well. And you have to examine all aspects of your life. And you have to examine what brings you peace and happiness and joy. And once you know those things, you make a decision. And whatever you decide to do, you put the work in and you will absolutely be successful. It's foolproof. Well said. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to be here Thank you. It was great chatting. Yes. I I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot and I just appreciate you taking the time to be here and share your story. And you are a true inspiration and a testament that you know what, you can do whatever you set your mind to. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And welcome to the Empowerography community. I'm proud and honored to have you as a member. Thank you so much. And I think that your questions are amazing. And um, you're doing some great things to help people get inspired and, and to grow. Thank you, Kate. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Kate Scaglione. She is the owner and founder of Life is Fine Art Boudoir Studio. Thanks so much, Kate. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks, Brad. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.